All right, I think a pretty simple night tonight and not quite so long. Uh, I, don't, I didn't give you a ton of words, uh, but we'll talk about the key words, Old Testament, New Testament. And then once you do terminology, I don't like to stack things on top of terminology because that is a lot to, to take in. So we'll just give you some words. But, you know, if you'd never met somebody, this kind of try to give you an illustration of importance of terminology. You never met somebody and you asked somebody uh, that knew them what they were like or they were coming to church this weekend and you know and somebody knew them or whatever and they begin to describe who they were and, and they use words like they are the kindest person I believe I've ever met. And so you begin to form a thought about okay what are these people like? Well they're just super kind humble, you know, and you begin to see, or I, I, you, you begin to form these expectations in your mind. Um, Paige is giving me a super hard time about John's girlfriend um, that he has now. So, and, you know, I just think about the girl, she's just absolutely beautiful, you know. And so, before you meet her, you've already got this image in your mind about what she's going to be like. And John says, Dad, she's just as beautiful on the inside as she is on the outside. I'm like, better hang on to her, son. So then you begin to see, okay, the character of the individual, okay? And so when you take these words, don't disconnect them from the God that we're describing. That's the purpose of the illustration, okay? Now, we know God personally. We have a relationship with Him. Uh, we spend time in prayer. We spend time in His Word. But at the same time, Marvel at these words that he has put in his word that help us understand who he is, okay? And so specifically, I'm giving you words tonight that describe the salvation that we have in God. And so these words are well worth you meditating on so you can help better understand the character of God and the kind of salvation that we receive from him. Is that suitable? Uh, for instance, we sing a song pretty often called Amazing Grace. Now, you sing that so much, you don't really think about, number one, how good of a song that is, but you also don't stop to consider what it's saying about the grace that we've received from God. I mean, amazing is, you know, one of those top five tier words that we don't use a whole lot. Awesome would be one of those words, right? And so I'm just trying to stimulate some thought in your mind. You know, we pass over things too quickly. We don't really reflect on every now and then when we're singing that song, it gets a hold of you right here and tears begin to roll down your face because you're reminded that the grace that we have in God is truly amazing. It's indescribable, okay? So I'll preface uh, these words with that. So here's an Old Testament word. Uh, chain, it's got the ha sound to it, uh, and it ends with ain, chain, I think that was right. This is the noun form of that word. Uh, I didn't put the number of usages, I don't, I don't think that's too important. But this helps us understand the trilateral tri root that's used in most of the Old Testament words that describe God. And if you converted it into English, it looks like H-N-N, um, but you can see it there, what it looks like in Hebrew. But Genesis 6, 7, and 8, the Lord says, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals, to creeping things, to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I made them. I 
think Nathan's got to deal with this passage pretty soon because uh, that's the word for repentance, I believe, right, Nathan? And God just repented there. But it goes on to say, but Noah found, and here's this word, favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, I'm just going to hang that passage there and you give me some thoughts that form in your mind once you read that passage. Um, I'll start with Noah since that'll be easier. What can you understand about Noah from this passage? Okay. Expound on that a little bit. Comparing him to everyone else. Maybe did not be, wasn't sorry for making Noah. Okay. Okay. Yep. So what is the line of distinction between Noah and everybody else on the planet that's about to die? That is it. God found favor with him. Now, something we like to do, and we do this every time with these Old Testament heroes, we like to put ourselves in the position of the hero. And you forget that God's killed, I've, we talked about that one time, a million, two million, could have been crazy numbers of millions. And we like to say, well, I'd have been like Noah. That's the wrong thing to do you would have probably been like everybody else, okay? Not Noah. But we do find characteristics in Noah that we appreciate, and we do find characteristics in Noah that we don't appreciate. I think Nathan's already dealt with that with our kids, and we'll talk about that in release time. But the distinguishing uh, factor between Noah and everybody else on the planet is that he received the favor of God. That's it, okay? Can you say anything about God from these passages? I, I know, but we want to make Noah responsible, don't we? That's what I mean by that, yeah. Noah did something different than everybody else on the planet. What was your question again? What, what would you say about the Lord in regard to this passage? He grieved over the sin of Grieved to the point of? Okay. And <laughs> wrath. That's interesting. Yeah, repentance and wrath. I really hope you clear that word up for us, Nathan. <laughs> All right. Uh, Hanan. This is the verb form. So there's your noun form. Now your verb form. Um, we call my grandmother Nan, my mom's mom. So that one's easier for me to remember, right? I think y'all got a Nan, don't you? Nana. Okay, crazy Nana. All right, Exodus 33. Usually this word is translated gracious. He said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be, here's your word, gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. So tell me some things about the Lord in regard to this passage. Be interesting to hear the first thing you come up with. He has no obligation to show grace to anybody. Okay. What else can you come up with? He does, he does faith that he will 
Yeah. I mean, again, let me go back to my words. I'll describe John's girlfriend as just a beautiful young lady, so you have this expectation. Don't move to the theology before you get to the reality that God is gracious. The God who created the heavens and the earth is gracious and is compassionate. Okay? But then you move right on and you understand, like Jeremy said, it is not um, grace without limits. It's not grace without boundaries. Because the God of the world today, they've created a God who loves without limits. He loves without boundaries, right? I always use the analogy of bowling, right? And I think this is a passage in Philippians that I do that most often. But, you know, he's got the gutters, whatever you call those things, the gutter walls up. It's not just love poured out over everybody and anybody all the time. It's not that. There's a limit to that. And this is one of those times that he says, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. All right. Hanun. Now, this one's used most, it's, and it should be. It's the adjective form of the word. I think I pronounced that right. I got the first part right anyway. Uh, this is where the Lord describes himself, Exodus 34, 6. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth. We spend so much time in this passage. What can you say about the Lord in regard to these, these verses? This kind of removes all the wonder because you don't have to wonder about what God is like. I mean, this describes Him in great detail, right? He is absolutely full of these things. So here's a number of passages now that's using the adjective form of this word. Uh, I'll call on you guys, a couple of you guys to read, so I won't start with the coffin bit, but... I'm going to ask you a concluding thought once we get to the, all, the end of these passages, and I don't I remember how many, four or five, six, something like that. So be thinking as we're walking through these passages about what this communicates about salvation. Okay? Because it's, it's the main thought. I don't want you to miss it, but I want you to figure it out yourself. So we'll go around the room. Cody, Joel 2.13. Um, Did it flip up? It's coming. In that, uh, just for that verse there, yeah. you, know, you would think that we would see in there that he is also wrathful, but it's his, it's that character to be compassionate and gracious, even in his wrath, we can still see him compassionate and gracious. Oh, yeah. He has slowed anger. Absolutely. Ah, there it goes. All right. Uh, and in your heart, and not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, and relenting of evil. Alright. Nathan's got to deal with this passage. This is a key passage, right? Yeah. If you'll notice the first part of that verse, you'll understand why that's going to be a key passage for repentance. But anyway, the prophet is describing God, and he says, for he is. 
And he's speaking from the point of understanding fully who God is and he's communicating to his people, turn your heart toward him. This is what he is like, okay? Change, yep. Rob? He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my home country? Therefore, in order to forestall, forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. All right. Again, notice what the prophet says. I knew that you were. So he understands who God is. Okay? He has a relationship with the Lord. He understands exactly who his character is. And he knew that he was going to act based on what? His character. Yeah. Okay. Several of the psalmists. Uh, Jeremy, will you grab these three? You, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and truth. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He has made his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. Yeah. I mean, there's literally dozens and dozens and dozens of these passages. I'm just trying to give you just a little bit of a sample of them. Okay. All right, one more. Who can read that? Tyler, can you see that from there? Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is compassionate. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and great in loving kindness. All right. So what is the character of God? Key components of his character. Gracious, compassionate, all these words. And it's interesting, anytime you see one of these words, and we're not going over all these words, and we're going to cover merciful, and we're going to cover loving, cover loving kindness, his chesed. But when you get into the adjective forms of these words, there's never just one. There's just a whole stack of them. And again, he's helping you understand who God is as if you'd never met him, or if you're struggling to trust him, I talked to a young man yesterday for an hour. He understood what to do. Could communicate it back to me. And he even understood, really, you're just saying this has come down to the point whether I'm going to trust him or not. I said, you're exactly right. I'm going home. You understand. I left. I said, I'm going to go eat supper. And so that's what the author's trying to do. I'm telling you what God's like. In other words, I'm putting all this back on you. So this is exactly who he is. This is up, up to you whether or not you're going to trust him. Because you, you know. You know, right? Of course, we don't need anyone describing who God is like for us, right? We understand who he is because we have a relationship with him. We've walked with him. So here's the most important question. What is your salvation based on without his grace are we gonna live <laughs> yeah based on his character yes it is not based off you it is based off who he is 
you can sleep at night. Your kids sleep well at night because they understand who you are and based off your character, they can go to bed and sleep because you're going to protect them from any harm in the middle of the night. You're going to feed them the next day. You're going to clothe them. You're going to love them. You're going to provide for them. So based off your character, your child goes to sleep and sleeps well at night. You've got to understand your salvation is based off similar thoughts as that. This is who God is, and He saves based off of who He is, not who we are. So don't ever get confused. And I know we're, I, I know that we understand this theologically, but you still, if you're like me, you have to remind yourself constantly of these things. We're not doing things to earn the favor of God. He does what He does based off of who He is. Thankfully, right? Because if he was doing things for me based off on who I was, oh, I'd be impoverished, right? We would all be beggars. But this is who God is. Comments or questions about the grace of God or the graciousness of God? All right. I guess my favorite word. I heard somebody say kessid the other day, and I was like, that might be more right than me, but I always pronounce it with the ha sound. Uh, again, Exodus 34, 6, Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth. Now, I did not realize this, because every time I go back and I start studying these Old Testament words, and we've looked at this one a number of times, I always learn something different. But Ryrie... If you know, he's a useful if you're going to start understanding words. Ryrie's helps us understand a great number of them. But anyway, he said this is the most difficult word to understand in regard to all the words that are used to describe God because it's used in so many different contexts, it's hard to nail down the exact definition. In fact, you can see in this passage, a lot of people believe that the loving kindness of God is, is so bound with truth based off this, that it has to have something to do with the truth of God. I don't agree with that because you've got so many adjectives at work here. You'd have to say, well, it's based off compassion, grace, slow to anger, truth, those sort of things, right? I think the kindness of His love is the best way to understand this word as far as the time that I've spent studying this. And you think about the way that's framed. It's not just love, it's the kindness of His love. Right? That's God. And that's how he uses, how he likes to describe himself. Psalms 30, 13, 5, But I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Uh, that one's, obviously all these are worth memorizing, but hey, what about that one? That's a really good verse. Right? Because I have, tr because I have trusted in who you are or your character, my heart sings, right? I sing in my salvation. Psalms 23, surely goodness, and we usually translate this mercy because we're working where the word hesed and we're trying to figure out how we're going to translate this. But surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So the NAS translates that word loving kindness there, but mercy works as well. Now, you've got your Bible, Psalms 25. 
<coughs> and this, this psalm uses this word so much. David is locked in on this word. All right, let's see. Nathan, will you start in 25.4, read down through 11, but don't read it too fast, and always put a little extra emphasis on loving kindness because that's the word. All right, so what translation is that? Uh, All right, so anyone have anything other than NAS? NASB calls it steadfast love. The NASB does? No, no, no ESV. So ESV, steadfast love. That's why they're translating it loyal love. Does everybody else have loving kindness? The kindness of his love. So every, again, everybody's trying to figure out this, the best way to translate this into English, and that's why Ryrie goes, I don't know. You know, there's so many different ways to handle this word. God is faithful in his love to us. NASB says he's kind in his love to us. But David keeps coming back to this, and he's speaking in the context of forgiving his sin and being led by God, understanding the truth of God, wanting to be taught by God, but he keeps appealing to the loving kindness of God. Okay. All right, Rob, I think the air cut off. Will you go? Yeah. We got to pray for Sarah. She's sick and on the road. Yeah. All right. Uh, I'll wait on Rob just a second. So that's the Old Testament. And those are your three kind of word groups that you're going to deal with. Uh, the word for grace um, and the word for chesed. I said three. Those are the two main words you're going to deal with in the Old Testament. Again, there's a lot of other adjectives, but those are the, some of the key ones. So when you roll into the New Testament, again, number of words. Uh, Elia, no, Elio, rather, Elio, translated mercy, and this is the, the verb form of this word. Uh, Romans 9, 14. What shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. For he has said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend upon the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. For Scripture says to Pharaoh, For this purpose I raised you up, 
to demonstrate my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. So then he has mercy on whom he desires and he hardens whom he desires. And this is in the verb form. So literally God is saying, I mercyed them, right? I have mercyed on whom I want to mercy. So it's the verb form of God expressing his mercy. Now we're just taking a snippet of that passage without explaining the whole. Uh, Paul's working through the Jew and the Gentile as he walks through this passage, but Pharaoh is forever the example of someone who was not mercied by God. He was used by God to accomplish the purpose, purposes of God, but he was not mercied. Okay? All right. Then you get to the noun form, Elias, and this is where probably the passages that you're most familiar with. Ephesians 2, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were yet sinful or dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. One commentator did well when he said, you know, everything that God's doing for us he sprinkles this Elias in and around it, sometimes before and after it, to help us understand everything that God does for us is based on His mercy. It's not based on us. It's not based on our goodness or our work. It's based on the fact that He is a God of mercy. Okay? Uh, Titus 3.5, He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His Elias, His mercy, uh, Oiktirmas, you say that word a little differently, I'm pronouncing the parts, but anyway, it's a noun. 2 Corinthians 1.3, it's not used a lot, usually it's translated the mercies. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies. This is who He is, and God of all comfort. And then the most significant word you're going to find in the New Testament, charis. And this is the word that's always translated his grace. So we start with grace, we're back to grace, right? Uh, Romans 3. Anybody want to read this? Nathan, you see that back there? For now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all those who believe. For there's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Notice the last part of that passage. We're justified, we're made right with God based on what He does through His grace. And I've brought this up many times before. We always say, have you made things right with God? What are you talking about, man? No, I have not. He has made things right with me. And it was based on His grace. And it was a gift, right? It was something He did on my behalf. And that, that, by the way, is the definition of grace. It's God doing this for someone who doesn't deserve it. Okay? That's grace. It's not He looked throughout time to see if they were going to be good or if they were going to respond, and then God extends His grace. That denies the word. 
you're defying the definition. What he saw when he looked throughout time concerning me was not good, undeserved. It'll either be grace or wrath. Right? Because what we did was deserve his wrath. Romans 5, but the free gift is not like the transgression, for if by the transgression of the one Adam, the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. Uh, and that may be the last passage of that one. It is. Okay, so Zemeck brings up two verses, and we've already touched on them just a little bit. Um, Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. And you can see a number of these words. So I'll start in verse 1. <coughs> So, you know, we're talking about, again, what are we talking about? Talking about salvation, soteriology. And we're talking about the doctrines of sovereign grace. And all that means is this is solely what God is doing. We're not working in concert with God. It is what God himself is doing, okay? And you can see that in Ephesians 2, and you can see that in Titus 1 that we'll look at in just a second. It says, And you were dead in verse 1, in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among them, that group, in verse 2, 1 and 2, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by very nature, we've talked about this and we went through judgment, we were by nature children of wrath, just like everyone else, even as the rest. But God being rich in mercy, this Elias that we've talked about tonight, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ by grace, Harris, you have been saved. And he raised us up with him. Now notice God is still working for us. He raised us with Christ. He has seated us with Christ in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come, He might show the surpassing riches of His grace. There's only more grace to come in kindness toward us in Christ for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that is not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast before God. And there's very few passages that talk about soteriology quite so clearly as that passage. And I remember where were we? I mean, we were out in the sanctuary on a Wednesday night, probably about four years ago, and going through this passage, and it finally clicked with Brad Coots. I don't know if y'all remember that that night. You know, and that's why. We'll, why are we back here? We'll always come back here and hopefully it'll click with somebody else, right? And you'll begin to understand who you are and who he is.
and you're saved based solely on who he is, not who you are. All right, make your way over to Titus. Uh, yeah, let me back up. 1 Corinthians? 2 Corinthians? Yeah, 2 Corinthians 1-3. Again, Paul is describing the character of God there. He calls him the, fathers of, the Father of mercy. In fact, I think it's in 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy chapter 1. I have to go find it. But Paul uses the verb form in describing his own salvation. And twice he says, I was mercied. That's how he calls his salvation. I got mercied. God poured out who he was on me. I got mercied. Which, by the way, would be a very faithful way to describe if somebody ever asked you when you were saved, you say, I got mercied when I was 10. Probably look at you funny. All right, Titus, what is it? Three? Yeah, Titus 3, beginning in verse 3. <coughs> and this is in the verb form as well here. Titus 3, verse 3. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice, envy, hateful, and hating one another. But... Here's just as significant a turn as it is in Ephesians. But when the kindness, that's a different word, when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That's a really good verse. And of course, those are your two key passages in tying together this thought about salvation and the character of God and the work of God. It's all of sovereign grace. So here I leave you with a quote from Zimic. Indeed, the divine motive or what is motivating God standing behind salvation from beginning to end is the amazing grace of God. And then he quotes Micah 7, Old Testament, by the way. Micah asks this question, Who is a God like thee who pardons iniquity? King James works best there. <laughs> 